moving forward in memory, Zikoran. The first thing that we have to realize, and I think it's very shaykh to this sugya, is the idea that for each and every one of us, the world that we experience is not some type of objective reality which exists out there. It's our internal model, our perception of what that world is. We develop inside of ourselves an idea of the the way the world is structured and then when we look out at the world we see that idea or that concept or that theory taking place. I'll give you a very practical example in how radical misperceptions can be. Before studying the digestive tract, I understood that the amount of time it takes for food to pass through your body is two or three hours. So therefore my entire perception of my digestive process was completely faulty because it takes between 24 and 36 hours. So the way I perceive what's happening to me as a person is just nonsense. But my mind relates to that as the reality. Are you following me? The degree to which, in other words, the world, the world as a place works in a particular way, but the way it works, the causality, the understanding of how things function is not visible to the surface. It's interpretive. So we all interpret it in our own way. And when we have that interpretation, we then perceive the world in line with our original interpretation. I'm being very vague, I'll make it much more concrete right now. Right now. And this is going to be so crucial for memory. Our perception of the way we see the world dictates our behavior. The way we see things and the way we value them, for example, is this something which is right or is this something which is wrong? Is this something which is good or is this something which is bad? Is this something which I should invest in and it will turn out well? Is this something I should not and I will um, pull myself away from it? All those interpretations of the world are based on internal models I have in my, hef- in my head. And then I behave accordingly. For example, if I heard somewhere that if a person studies Torah consistently, it will rid him of his midasagaiva, so then I'll go and I'll invest in the study of Torah because I understand that this thing will do that thing. Now, if it does or if it doesn't, in my internal model, it doesn't make a difference because I'll behave on what that model is. So the perceptions we have in our ha- head lead to behavior, and the behavior is what we perpetuate through our life. Is that relatively clear? Or is it too vague? Let me concretize it. Once upon a time, there was a man called Koyach. Koyach was a Pikach. Why did he go against Moshe Rabbeinu? There's a level of absurdity involved in his rebellion because Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest prophet that ever lived. He was clearly legitimized by the Creator that every single Jew heard speaking to him directly at the foot of Har Sinai. And that same Creator 
by implication, and acknowledged Moshe Rabbeinu's authority as the ultimate prophet. And Korach was present at the time, and Korach was a Pikayach and a Godel, and Korach was a man of tremendous understanding and insight. And therefore, how is it possible that he saw that he had a Havamina that Moshe Rabbeinu was completely invalid in his leadership? He challenged the entire idea that Moshe Rabbeinu should be a leader, the Aaron Akon should be a Kohen Godel. He came, went, Kivyachel, Kenegid HaKadosh Bochu, Legamre, Legamre, Leshem Shemayim. But Leshem Shemayim, where did the Kilkul in his dance come from? How is it possible? So Rashi answers. It's quite simple. Elitophon ben Uziel was his cousin. Uziel was his brother's, Yitzhar's younger brother. So he understood that the Nasius of Kahas should go to him, Korach. Elitophon got it. What happened? It aroused a middle of Kina. Event. The event arouses a middah. What happens then? The middah creates a way of seeing things. The middah creates a paradigm. The middah creates a perception of how things work. Because in order for this middah to have expression in the world, in order for me to justify and validate it, it has to have an accompanying philosophy. So what happened? So the middah created a philosophy. Talis doesn't need tzitzit. The Ba'is Malay Sfarim doesn't need a mezuzah. And an Am Shekulam Kedoshim doesn't need a leader. So Korach said, then should be no such thing as leadership. Because if there's no leadership, so then and it softens the invalid leader, and therefore my jealousy can be satisfied. My jealousy is a rotson. That rotson needs expression. It wants to express itself. How can it express itself? It has to say, it's legitimate. How does it legitimize itself? It says, there should be no such thing as leadership, and therefore it's right that any sovereign should be deposed as a leader, and therefore I'm not invalidated that I wasn't chosen to be in that part, in that play. And that leads to an action. So the, the, the process is really an event, number one, Number two, arouses the middle. Number three, forms a philosophy. Number four, leads to an action. But you need a raya that your theory is correct. Korach looked down to his generations and he saw that Shmuel Novi was born from him and hence he must be a righteous individual. Otherwise, how would he be zecher to such righteous generations? So he validated his theory by looking ahead. So you need to force their process and you need to validate the mistaken theology that you come up with. Are you all following me? So that's a very scary point. Because it means that our perceptions are rooted in the makor of our midas. And the reason why we behave in particular ways is not because that's the right way to do it. The reason why I think it's important to bench Bukavona is because I once saw a person, benching Bukavona, and I said to him, how, how do you have the continuing sentence to bench Bekavona? And he said, because if you bench Bekavona, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises you that you will never ever have to take out a loan. So he thinks it's amazing. So then they create a mind frame. And that mind frame is completely unfounded. He made it up as he went along. But now, in your mind, this action produces this result and you behave in accordance with that. You following me? I'm assuming that this guy never took a loan, so he had a good raya from him. But what happens is, from taking little snippets of events which occur to you, 
So what you do is you form ways of seeing the world and thus you form ways of behaving and those ways of behaving could be purely rooted in the Midas and have no shaykhs to Seichel. But the Midas create the Seichel. Is that a clear point? You following me? Do you understand how dangerous that is? Do you understand how terrifying that is for our perception or the way we live our lives? How can we be certain that our entire structure of the choices that we're making in life are not because of events which have occurred to us over the history of our being? The reason why I'm doing this is because of this that happened and this that was said and, and they could be completely unfounded and nonsense. End of part number one. Part number one describes the formation of an internal reality based on experience which awakens an emotion, a midda, which creates a mind frame, which leads to behavior in accordance with that mind frame. That's model number one. There's a different model, and that's the model we've been talking about until now. We discussed the model in the Ramchal. The Ramchal says as follows. Why did I write the book? There's no information being presented here. The Ramchal says, in order to remind you of what you already know. What does he mean by that? We explained in the following way. That the Ramchal says, in order for a person to work on his midas, he needs three criteria. He says you need iyun. In order for you to get a shaykhist to a midah, you have to be ma'ayin in the midah. That means you have to seek out the logical <laughs> mechanics upon which the midah works. You have to understand how it functions. In an ethereal sense, what's the idea behind the midah? What's the concept? Then you have to look at the practical ramifications of how that midah pans out in day-to-day -day life, how it is expressed in the way I shake hands, the way I learn, the way I engage in business. How do that midah, how in the course, in the span of my life, how does the midah manifest itself? I have to understand how it would be manifest if I were to introduce, there's a notion of after The concept is that a person outside of me has the ultimate weight and I have to give, attribute, attribute that weight to him. That's a concept. Practically speaking, it means that I walk into a room, I look around to see what everyone in the room may need. I look around to see if they're comfortable. I look around what I can give of myself to them. In other words, it would mean sometimes giving a glass of water, other times a glass of tea, other times moving off my chair, other times giving a person a safer, other times giving a person a warm handshake, a happy hello. Dependent on what I see in front of me will condition exactly what will condition exactly what I have to do. So there's the idea a person has weight. There's a practical application, one's called Chochmah, one's called Bina. You are so far so good. Then, if I integrate those ideas and I understand the concept and I understand where the practical ramifications lie and then I follow the eight of the Ramchal and I do a Chazorevas Moda, I go over it consistently. That is a large component that I keep on living with the idea. Then I will actually become an Oyev Chaveri. I'll be kind, it will translate into mid of Avas Chaverim. Kvoid Chaverim. By understanding the concept, by understanding the applications, by going over the idea consistently in my mind, it will give birth to a midah of Avas Chaverim. That's what we said in the Ramchal. And that's what we said the goal of the book is. The goal of the book is to create that cognitive link between the idea we understand and the reenactment, the enactment in our life. 
Good? Now, did you notice something about the direction of those two processes? Both deal with the same idea. Both deal with Midas. Both deal with Seichel. The question is purely directional. According to the first model, you have an external stimulus which awakens a Midas which creates a mind frame which then leads to behavior and then goes all the way down the mind frame creates a middle which creates a behavior goes up and then down according to the second model you don't start in the world and then go to the middle and then go to the mind you start in the mind then you go to the middle and then you go to the world the starting point is in the Torah the next level is in the Midas and the third level is in the Maise. The only chance we have of accessing reality in any way is by taking the second approach. And now you understand what it means that what we said and we began with is that none of us have a handle on the reality because we all live with constructed models of what we believe the world to be is. Now what the world is, is completely unrelated to our perception of what we say that we feel the world to be about. That's only true if the model that we construct in our internal being is sourced in external stimulus which prompt middles which create mind frames which then become the entire universe of our experience interpreted through our relationship with the outer world and the inexperience. But, but if our starting point is in the Torah and that's where we understand where reality begins and then we integrate that until we start to feel what we know and then we start to know, feel and do so then there's an alignment between the internal reality and the external reality that can only be through the information and the guidance of the Torah and that's Pashtas what it means looked in the Torah and created the world so if we want to create a world the only place to look is in the Torah and if we look at the world to create a world we will come up with a distortion of reality based on our own personal subjective composition of midas which respond to the stimuli in the world around us in a variety of different ways which then create value systems and perceptive systems which then govern our lives and the way we behave. So this is possibly the most awakening understanding we could ever possess because it means that the study of Torah and the capacity to get the completion of the perception of reality based on what the Torah describes it as is so overarching that without it we will be dis completely dislocated from any sense of truth and everything we do even if it's supposedly within the realm of Shemir Samitzvah will in fact just be an invention that we're making up as we go along it's amazing 
And it's a very subtle thing that operates on a variety of different levels. For example, an example of my Medesakina is there are certain rabbis that I criticize because of their educational style. I said, no, this guy doesn't know how to teach. How does their perception begin? I see he's teaching better than me. That awakens the middle of kina. The middle of kina has to go somewhere, so it creates a model whereby his system of teaching is invalid. And that leads me to say, clearly, he shouldn't be a teacher. What's it got to do with reality? Very little. What's it got to do with my midas? A lot. So my entire reality is created by kina, by covert, by sinna. I start to rate people, I start to interpret events, I start to say, this life is too hard for me because because I find this difficult, that awakens the middle of Atlus. Atlus says that I need to have Tanuga Ulamazer, and therefore it can't be that this life is whatever it is, right for me. So the middas start to create a reality, and then you start to live in the reality, and then you start to behave in accordance with it, and then where are you? You're trapped in this cage of self-constructive illusions, self-constructed illusions, which have no bearing on anything. That's the introduction to memory. So how does memory work now in that, in co- in that in relation to that context? So now memory becomes a very pertinent sugya, because memory, especially, for example, traumatic, traumatic memories, or deep memories which left an impression on us, certainly awoke midas within us, and those middas created mind frames, which then created ways of perception, which then led to action. So, in terms of memory, what a memory is, a memory is an event. A memory is an event which leads to the awakening of a midda, which then leads to a way of perception, which then leads to an action. So now you see the power of what the Ramban said of the mitzvahs loisah said to be shorchech ma'amad har sinai ma'amad har sinai is a memory which is powerfully evocative if it's utilized properly it creates a mind frame which leads to action but there's one difference it's a memory which is corroborated and verified. It's a memory rooted in reality and is not subject to my own personal interpretation. It's a memory which builds my reality and not a memory which breaks my reality. So memories play a vital role in the construction of the inner model in my mind. And the more the memories can, as it were, be verified, the more the memories are part of a collective expression of reality, the more they are, the more they contribute to the formation and construction of self. And memories, which are just events which occurred in my life, can be the way whereby we get completely led astray from accessing the reality in front of us. Are you following me? So therefore, we have to think 
where does the avoider lie in the sugya? So the obvious place of avoider lies in the ability to make a powerful impact of the events which build, like Mahmoud Har Sinai, like Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, like Briyasa Olam on Shabbos, those Kivyochal memories, meaning a memory is not only an event which occurred to me by first-hand sensory experience, it's an event which occurred in the past which had an impact on me in the present. Mahmoud Sinai has the most powerful impact on me in the present than possibly any other thing, any other event that occurred in the world. I don't know if you can... Mahmoud Sinai stroke it, yes, it's right. But without that, so I would not be wearing fringes upon my four-cornered garments. Without that, I would not have a bearded face, even though there are those that may argue and say, the more of the face you cover up, the better. It's clearly not coming from the forehead down. <sighs> the way I am, the way I speak, the way I do, the way I act, everything is because of that one event. Now how strong is my memory of that event? So if it's not strong, so then where am I living? Then it becomes fascinating to see how the internal model that I've constructed, constructed is functioning. Practically speaking, in order to gain access to the objectivity of a reality which is something which won't fizzle out after 120 years because it was only constructed in my mind and it didn't exist anywhere else but there, in order for me to be able to enter the world it's crucial that I enter into a dialogue with the Torah and I try source where my preconceived notions come from and do not let those memories to subconsciously form the manner in which I approach life. Practically speaking, you open up a Mesil Sashorim and the Mesil Sashorim says that when you give a person an Eitzah as a prohibition it says and there's you have to have that person's interest, his best interest at heart. So now when you come to give a person an Eitzah, there's always an interesting conflict which occurs. You may have your own personal agendas for him, but you also may be projecting on him something which is particular to you. So you happen to have an issue in a particular area, and the subtlety is you're completely unaware of the issue that you have. So what you think is you describe in reality. So what you have to do is, you have to remove yourself from the situation and try to see through his eyes and engage in a dialogue. 
or better still, you open up the safe in Mesut Shoshim, and it says that Inyan has the heroes who that a person has to be mefakech and is boinin al ma'as over drachov. So then I say to myself, do I do a cheshbon nefesh? The answer I say is no. So this is where the dialogue, and maybe we'll expand upon this at a later stage, this is where the dialogue between the Sefer begins. I say to the Ramchal, Rabbeinu Ramchal, I don't think it's important to do a cheshbon nefesh every day. He says to me, are you sure about that? I said, I'm absolutely sure about that, because I don't. If it would be important, I would do it. Well, tell me, why don't you do it? So I say to back to him, because I feel it will be too heavy for me to live life thinking that way. It will be too overbearing. Now the Ramchal has to speak back to you. And yes, you say something. And yes, you say something along the lines of, why do you feel that way? I'm telling you that if you don't think about what you do, so then the chances are you'll just repeat mistakes again and again and you may, may be completely off track and you'll never find out because you're not thinking about it and reevaluating and considering perhaps, thing, well, perhaps what you're doing is wrong. So what I'm saying seems to make sense. Why do you, why do you argue? And then it may be because through my childhood the value that was taught to me was relaxation comes from not using my mind. So therefore, using my mind creates tension. Tension is an unpleasant experience and therefore I'll avoid it. So then the Ramchal will have to say back to you, but is that really true? And then I'll have to say back to him, yes. And then we'll engage in this dialogue. In the engaging of the dialogue, you have the possibility of exposing the subjective interpretations of the world around you and connecting to the Torah. If, however, you read through the works of the Ramchal or any other Torah, and you just say, oh, okay, that's fine. And you don't say, but I feel differently. And you don't acknowledge that feeling. What will happen is, you'll either create a dichotomy where you'll say one thing and do something else, or you'll misinterpret what the Torah says, or you just won't process and you'll just be completely unintegrated. So I think there's a powerful mechaev over here in, first of all, trying to gain the shaykhs to memories which build, and trying to expose memories which have allowed us to construct a universe which only exists as a result of events which occur to us personally throughout the course of our lives. The end. Okay. Sorry, I don't know why you all look so depressed. Is there any reason? I hope not. <coughs>